Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 158 of our Momenta Digital Threat podcast series. Today, it is a pleasure to welcome back Roberto Siagri, the founder and recent CEO of Eurotech, a pioneer in delivering building blocks for full Internet of Things solutions. Roberto founded Eurotech in 1992, leading the business as CEO through its public listing in 2015, and recently handed over the range to the next level of leadership. Today, however, we're going to feature him in a new role as author of the book, Servitization for a Sustainable Future Without Limits to Growth. Roberto, welcome back to our Digital Thread podcast. Thank you, Ken, for having me here in your podcast again, and reality for a second time. Yeah, so we got a lot of good feedback after the first one. You truly are viewed as a visionary in the space and really a role model within Europe in that matter. So I'm sure everybody who listened to the podcast was also looking forward to the book that we knew would be coming. So as I mentioned, we featured you in that podcast number 143 back in June. And of course, at that point, you discussed your pioneering work in pervasive computing, you know, founding Eurotech in 1992. You also talked about your vision for the next wave of digital transformation, so the uh, cliff, if you will, or the hook. With uh, now your book, Servitization, soon ready to be released, I thought it'd be a great time to reconnect. So how about we start with the obvious question, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, the inspiration was coming from a reflection about the real meaning of the fourth industrial revolution. In, in other words, if it is a revolution, it has to be something more than just a technological improvement. And in the beginning, I was intrigued about how the digitization of things, so the Internet of Things, if you like, was changing the business models. But very soon, I have figured out that this change in the business models had impact in the production model too. What it, at the end, is summarizing the title, servitization. Servitization, in reality, is a relatively new word, by which, in reality, we mean the change that is taking place today in the economy. And the change is that the old product economy is slowly transforming into service economy. That is, the model of purchasing and owning goods is giving way to the new model of using goods. This shift is also, it's also mandatory if we want to, in some way, to create a sustainable future. And this sustainability can be achieved through the digital technologies. In the book, you've effectively subtitled it as the outcome economy, which is a term that I absolutely love and kind of defined this as the third phase of industrial transformation after what we consider phase one, so operational efficiency, and phase two, new products and services. So Tell us a bit about what is the outcome economy. Yes, I have said uh, the assumption is that the fourth industrial revolution must be something more than a technological improvement of the past methodologies of the way in which uh, we produce and consume stuff. And as you have mentioned, the low hanging fruits, uh, the incremental improvement. We can say that this incremental improvement, thanks to IoT, big data analytics, and robotics, that we refer as Industry 4.0 
this improved the operational efficiency and also in the better product with connected services. But what it is interesting to me is the medium long term transformation. That's the most intriguing one. And in the, and also the second phase, the second step, that more than phase. So we have first phase, second phase that are the first step and the second step, the third and the fourth phase in which we have dramatically changed the business model. We transition the transition from selling product to selling the outcome from products or the performance of the product. And that's what it is called the outcome economy. In other way, the outcome economy is what digital technologies can bring on the table as a sustainable economic model and versus the traditional product economy that we know from the 70s that is not sustainable. That's because the growth in terms of population of the world is not allowing us to continue to sell stuff. And it is much more sustainable if we start to use the product or to, in some way, use uh, in terms of the result of the product and or the performance of the product. And you can achieve this objective if we change the business model and if we move on the servitization. That's what the outcome economy is at the end. And we've talked with some of our OEM clients about those three phases in slightly different words, but you know, efficiency always first in terms of what the impact of digitization is. The second is the ability to create new products and services around those you have. So you think uh, Rolls-Royce power by the hour in some sense or predictive analytics. The third phase truly is that as a service. And so yeah, as you talked about servitization. What I think is interesting about the outcome economy and the way you word it here is you talk about the impact of this on production models, not necessarily just the outcome of products per se. So you set the tone for servitization and in essence is a paradigm shift from industrial production to digital production. Can you give us an example of digital production and how we would see industrial production migrating to this new future? Yes, I have called digital production this new methodology of selling outcome instead of goods. Does not mean that we have not to manufacture goods. Matter of fact, with the servitization in place, the assumptions that we need to manufacture more goods than before. So it is just a matter to differentiate the methodology from, from the traditional way in which we were used to selling the product. So that I call industrial production, that we call industrial production. Digital production, in some way, it's, as we have said, based around the digital technologies like the IoT, the big data, the AI and collaborative robots. And all these things uh, can help us uh, to create digital replicas of the things in the cyberspace. And then when you have all these digital replica in the cyberspace and you can act on the digital replica in, in real time, you can start to change the model. An example, look, for instance, very soon we will have the autonomous car. And what do you think that will be the business model of the autonomous car? I'm sure that there is no sense to sell an autonomous car. It's better to sell the service of the autonomous car. So if you think about all the product that you can control in real time, well, all this product, well, you can make more money, save the planet and help the customer to access the product at a lower cost if instead to sell the product, you sell the service. We can see now, for instance, product, maybe they are not yet fully servitized, but look at new thermostat. You have all this thermostat, the intelligent one, that they are connected to the cloud, and you, in reality, have using services from this product, uh, besides that you still are buying the product. If you think about a scale, 
Do you think that you want to buy a scale now that is not Bluetooth connected and to your smartphone and then from the smartphone to the cloud? And then in reality, what you need, you need the data from the scale. You do not need the scale. So the essence is that if you think about the product, what you really need is not the product per se. You need the function of the product. And so slowly, we are now in the first and second phase, as we have said. So slowly, we are attaching connected digital services to our product. We do not have yet a complete digital infrastructure to servitize definitely in a definitely way the product. But very soon with the 5G in place, we will see the emergence of this model. And autonomous car, to me, will be a catalyzer of the servitization. You spoke about infrastructure. The EU has been referring to, I would say, similar concepts in their initiative, what they term Industry 5.0 now. And I know you've been active in this initiative. For audience sake, what is Industry 5.0 and how does it differ from Industry 4.0? Well, you know, we talk about these four phases divided in two steps, short terms, long term. Well, I've tried to figure out how we can differentiate this with the terms uh, Industry 4 and Industry 5. Industry 4 and Industry 5, to me, they are part of the fourth industrial revolution. Is the early days of the fourth industrial revolution. It is a more incremental phase in which we are continuing to use the traditional production methodology just uh, with more efficiency with a little bit better product, with some connected service. And the third and the fourth phase are the ones that are more disruptive in nature and in which we change the production system and we really enter in the digital production. And in some way, I try to say that's we can call Industry 5.0. Also because we need to show that this transformation is not against people, is not removing jobs. We can have job creation if we activate the digital production, if we just stay in the first and second phase and we use this as a way to intensify the traditional industrial production, we may lose jobs. We may have concern about interaction and supremacy between human and machine. But if we move in the service economy, we can change our mind. It is a completely paradigm shift. We can see a new world with much more potential for every one of us, with a new industrial system that is more close to the human, more close to people, and more close to the environment. And that's the essence, the idea behind the word Industry 5.0. That is not another in technological advance, is the technology that enter in the economy, changing and reshaping the economy with new business model and new production model. Having read through the documents the EU has produced on Industry 5.0, and I'd recommend for any of our listening audience, just go up to the EU site and you can download some great white papers on the concept. But you're going to see a lot of focus on sustainability, you know, word Roberto you used earlier on, and also the term circular economy. So it's interesting where 4.0, to your point, might be more of an evolution in terms of technology-enabled efficiencies, if you will. Industry 5.0 truly seems to be a paradigm shift or transformation of production as we know it, right? As you say, building toward outcomes. And of course, I'm sure from the EU perspective and certainly other large geographic regions, a chance to maybe reassert one's position in terms of those value chains, uh, especially where you have you know, strong industry bases already. So so understand the interest there. And I'm, I'm certainly am proud to have the EU taken a early stance on this topic, particularly. 
Some, let's go back to your book because you laid out, I should say, a couple interesting things. You mentioned specifically you know, this idea of four technology catalysts that are leading us to servitization. So you mentioned IoT, cloud edge, data gravity, software-defined machines, and then you couple it with the concept of data twins. How do you see these technology enablers enabling the outcome economy and, and the servitization of products that go with that? Yeah, I have mentioned this IoT, big data, AI, robotics, of course, it's cloud. And all this technology is helping us to create the digital replica of the real world in real time and in the cyberspace. And in this way, then, because we have a lot of data, then we need better instruments for interpreting data. That's why also the AI is coming into the equation. And when we have this cyberspace filled with digital twins, of the real things, then uh, we can start to change the methodology. For instance, I was referring before on the autonomous car. If you do not have the real-time data coming from the status of the car, we cannot implement a servitization of the car. So because you do not know where the car is, which is the status of the car, you do not know how to allocate the car to other users, and you can extend this idea to other products, only knowing in real time the status of a product, we can think about how to sell the outcome. So if we have this in reality, let me say that as soon as you have the data from the product, you, your mind starts to think about new methodology in terms of business model, new method. And, uh, but the point is another one. We are talking now about uh, this digital stuff, but because the service economy required to have long-lasting product, we have to start to think how to redesign the product for the service economy. This kind of product are not sold, so we are selling the outcome of the product. So how we design it, uh, this product, the new steel product is very important. So it is not just a digital transformation, it is also a matter of redesign products. So where we listed technologies, and of course, I've got my venture capital hat on, naturally, we'd be looking at individual companies that are providing these technologies. But what I'm hearing from you is, in some sense, it is that ability to design those into your own end product OEM, if you will. And so I could see professional services design firms, things like that, uh, becoming quite interesting in that evolution, right, to help accelerate, if you will, the adoption Absolutely. of uh, digital. You recently did what I consider a great presentation at uh, IoT Week on Industry 5.0. And what I thought was interesting in the slides, you grouped Industry 4.0 and software-defined machines into one topic that you summarized as system thinking, which I thought was a very interesting way to think about that space. Can you say more about these catalysts and that term system thinking to you? Yes. The fourth industrial revolution, to me, it's based around the software standardization and componentization. Uh, let me say that in the essence, in its essence, is a software revolution. And product, in some way, are more based around software. And as we know, software is eating everything, including matter. More software means also more powerful computer, and more powerful computers means more embedded intelligence. And the machines are becoming software-defined, and uh, with the progress of digital communication like the 5G, they will be always connected. When you have this new machine that embedded this computer, this edge computer, and with all this intelligence, they become contest-aware. This means that the machine will enter in relation with the environment around the machine itself and with other machines and with the network to which these machines are connected. 
the approach will become systemic, not just closed around the machine. In reality, when you design an embedded computer, you have to think about the machine. Nowadays, because you are connected not just with the sensor of the machine, but also with other machines and with all the environment in which you are, which machine is placed, you have to start to think in a more larger way. And that's what I say for system thinking or system approach. It is not just the matter of the machine, it is the matter of the machine of the environment. We can also say that maybe in this first and second phase of the transition, the system thinking is more in the head of the designer and how to design and how to have this machine cooperate and work with others. But I think about cobots, uh, the collaborative robots is called collaboratives. You need to have a system thinking if you do these cobots. But in the third and fourth phase, when the AI will become more prominent, the AI will be pervasive, the system thinking will be part of the machine too. So we are no more disconnected one to the other. Digital is in principle, in some way, a social thing. Everyone is part We are figuring out that more and more every day that we are all part of the same system. If you think about the environmental consciousness that we have now, it's a systemic approach. And digital technologies are enabling this systemic approach. You know, it's interesting when you think about that system thinking taking place probably at the designer of that end product that will be the service in some sense, because they're usually making the trade-offs between sustainability, cost, uh, functionality, timing to market, things like that. But when I think about the companies that supply those, let's say the traditional technology vendors, whether they're software or, you know, kind of like your background at Eurotech, how do you think it changes those companies as well or how those companies go to market? I think that, yeah, that's the big cultural change that in some way to me is also not, uh, well, if you think about, we have a lot of expectation about IoT. We do not have seen that yet as we expected. The hype is still sort of hype, uh, not yet on production, on the volume that we expected just because of what you have said. So this cultural change is not immediate, is not easy. We need a new generation also of people that has a more systemic thinking. and but, but it will come because every one of us every day has a more planetary consciousness than in the past. Yeah, it's the difficulties that we are facing, this cultural change. And the service, as you have said, service is by definition a systemic approach. You, service is a continuous quality delivery. It's not the delivery of the quality at when you sell the product. It's you are measured continuously during the deployment of the service. So that's why you have to start to be more uh, thinking the systemic way than in the past. Mm, Yeah. In fact, since you talk about an outcome economy, perhaps transformation is, I'll call it the outcome back versus the technology forward, because technology vendors often will push technologies as solutions, and then we'll figure out what the real use cases are for those (laughs) once we've pushed them out. In this case, you're starting from that outcome and working back, which is certainly transformational. Use the term data gravity. Tell us a little bit about that term and why you see that as one of the key catalysts. Well, the idea is derived from the traditional Newtonian gravity. Mass has gravity. In other words, masses attract masses. And bigger the mass, bigger the attraction force. That's the gravity force. And in the same way, 
data has gravity and data attract data and the bigger the database and bigger the attraction. And the idea in reality was originated with diffusion of the cloud and cloud has attracted and is still attracting a lot of data and this data are attracting the application and the services. So everything was in some way close to the cloud. But nowadays with the edge computing, we have seen this computational power, not just be only on the cloud, but also the edge and more computational power we have at the edge, more data we are generating at the edge. Assuming for instance, again, the example of the autonomous car, to me, it's a paradigm shift, the autonomous car. So I like to continue to use this also if it is not it is near the corner, by the way. It's not yet, but it's near the corner. An autonomous car, it's expected to generate a terabyte of data per hour, up to 10 terabytes of data per hour. You can guess that, well, it's impossible that you transfer all this data in the cloud. And because you have all this data produced at the edge, the edge is starting to attracting other kind of things like application and services. So at the end, the data gravity that uh, as a concept was started, initiated with the cloud, now is not only applicable to the cloud, but is you can apply this kind of concept also at the edge. And that's the other big revolution that we are facing of the, about the edge computers because of this data gravity. Probably along with that, as I'll call it a bit of a crossover topic, you discussed digital twins. So what is a digital twin in your perspective? Oh, well, as I said previously, digital twin is the digital replica, uh, to me, in real time, of the real things in the cyberspace. Much more accurate is this replica and much faster the frequency in which the replica is provided. Much closer, this digital replica is to reality, and much closer to reality, much better we can adapt or design business models. Um, well, you, you can expect that this replica will be indistinguishable from reality as in the Matrix movie. And as Gordon Bell said, everything that is cyberizable will be in the cyberspace. And we know that everything is cyberizable thanks to the miniaturization of the computer and to the low power requirement that this computer have today. So that's to me what this digital twin in reality is a sort, if you say in mathematics, an isomorphism between the real world and the digital world. And because of the digital twins, we can activate a new production methodology, a new business model. And if we do that, according to, again, the, I'll refer to the IoT presentation, you mentioned, in essence, this digital transformation is curving the linear production model. Maybe say a little bit about that and what the implications are of that. Yeah, and, you know, I like this picture about that because, you know, data gravity because of the linear model. We know that we have to move from a linear model, the linear production model, to a circular production model. And the digital transformation is, in essence, it's leading the way to the change in the production system. And But not, you know, the interesting thing is not because we love the planet or because we love our customer. It's because digital technology tell you that if you love your customer, if you love the planet, you will make more money. And that's the interesting thing. In the traditional industrial system, you can't make money if you love your customer and the environment at the same time. Someone has to lose in order to have at least one winner or maximum two winners out of the three. So when we say the three, the economy, the environment, and people and customers. This is not uh, what will happen with the digital production. That is an intelligent production that forces uh, 
force you, force us to have all three players as winners. And so in some way, that's why I say curving. So you have this linear model. In the moment that you digital transform your company without knowing the digital transformation is forcing you to rethink to your model. And if you move on the service and the servitization, the best way is to adopt a circular model. So circular economy that is not for everyone nowadays, that is a luxury in some way for some company. And it will become the natural methodology if you embrace digital transformation. We uh, often used to say that industriality or perhaps even Industry 4.0, one of the outcomes of it was the breaking down of traditional value chain barriers. I'm a supplier, you're a client or a broker, right? The minute I put a connected device into that value chain, And the data from that device is going back to the manufacturer of it. You transcend a whole lot of other intermediaries, if you will. And certainly we see that with industrial, smart pumps, smart transformers, smart automobiles, right? In that regard. But it's interesting because I think you've overlaid on top of that idea is that there's a consciousness and trade-off among all those value chain players to this idea of system thinking you said earlier, right? And what are the trade-offs and how do I make those trade-offs collectively versus individually as one member of the value chain? So it's a fascinating concept. Yeah, it's the magic of digital production. It's like to enter in a dark room and find the button that turn on the light. And uh, when you push that button, it, the world changes completely. You start to think in a different way. You have to have a systemic approach. And that's really the magic of digital transformation. So perhaps I've kind of saved the cliffhanger question for last. You've heard us refer to four phases throughout this conversation, but we've only named three. And this last stage or phase of industrial transformation is something you're calling autonomous pull production. Perhaps you can tell us a bit about that and perhaps when you see this coming. Yeah, that's the last phase just because you need to have the servitization in place and you need to have a lot of data coming from the product and from the supply chain and from customer. Nowadays, we are used to make the production in a push methodology. So in other ways, We try to forecast the volume that are required by the market or by the customer, and then we manufacture them, we put in the stock, and then through marketing and other methodology, we force someone, some target to buy the product. But we are forcing them to buy, so that's why we say push. In the future, if we have all the data and we know our customer, and we have the 3D manufacturing model, we have other agile methodology in the manufacturing, we can just have the product ready to be pulled by the customer and more than product, pull services. In this way, if we have a real-time manufacturing capability that is very tuned or you can adapt the production to the needs of your targets, you are now more anymore pushing to them the product, but you let them to pull out of the production the product. And this is much more sustainable because you do not have product in excess. You do not have to throw away product or because you have made a production of more goods than the one that are required. And you are designing or releasing product or services just around the customer needs. So more customer centric. And that's in some way the last piece that created this circularity and also this systemic approach on the system. 
applicable as you uh, you just, or apropos, I should say, as you just closed the loop on the whole conversation. And that is the idea that as you move forward into this, you create a circular economy. And I think that is probably the quintessential point of a lot of the Industry 4 or 5 work and uh, certainly what you're leading in terms of this book. For our listeners, when can we expect to see this book available? Well, the first release will be in Italy, in Italian language. It uh, will be in the October, and then I hope before the end of the year, also the English version. I'm working on the English version, and after the release of the Italian version, I will release also the English. For the English one, I have this hope that before the end of the year to have also that, or beginning of the next, and uh, the, the Italian version in October. Perfect. Either we need to brush up our Italian skills or plan for uh, our first Christmas gifts. (laughs) So, Roberto, thank you for sharing these deep insights with us today. Oh, it has been a pleasure to talk with you today about my new book. Uh, We are still in the early days of this giant uh, transformation that can change our planet for better. And I'm sure that digital technology will help us to save this planet for the better. Yes, absolutely. Well, so this has been Roberto Siagri, the founder and recent CEO of Eurotech and author of the book Servitization for a Sustainable Future Without Limits to Growth. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.